Hello and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I am your host, Natalie Brown. Thank you for joining me as we continue to look into the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and using sound for health and wellness. Today my guest is Sylvia Nakash. She is a Grammy-nominated musician, a former psychotherapist, composer, recording artist, and educator. She's the founding director of Vox Mundi School. The school is dedicated to teaching and preserving sacred music traditions. The school has centers in San Francisco Bay Area, Brazil, Argentina, and Japan. Nakash has spent her lifetime searching for the treasures that are all about the power of sound. And she's had many collaborations, degrees, and has studied with many, many people, including for over 30 years, the late Hindustani classical maestro, Ali Akbar Khan. Nakash is also an author, writing scholarly articles and books, including Free Your Voice. I was first urged to connect with Sylvia in the fall of 2018. I was taking a sound healing and craniosacral therapy class out in California with Dr. John Bullio, and he mentioned his collaborations with Sylvia. I've stayed in touch with one of the students that also attended this class, and he recently went to one of Sylvia's workshops in Santa Cruz, and he said, you just have to connect with her. You've got to talk. So I was glad when Sylvia agreed in her busy, complex schedule, just getting ready to travel, that she was able to have this discussion. So please enjoy my conversation with Sylvia Nakash. Sylvia, what's one of your earliest memories, maybe in childhood, an influential or transformational experience that altered your understanding of sound and spirit? My, my sonic biography, how did I start being a, uh, connected with sound in the way I am now? It, it's really been a lifetime and an evolution of listening and deep listening and quantum listening. I think uh, what I would say as, an, uh, as to respond to your in- inquiry about uh, my connection with sound from the beginning that I remember, it's what I mentioned in my book. Um, it's, I was in love uh, when I was very young, maybe, maybe three, four, five years old. I was really in love of the sound of the birds and nature. So for me, nature was the place where I would go and feel in another dimension. From very early age, sound allowed me to travel, and I'm a traveler, (laughs) allowed me to travel to an alternative, more expanded, more you know, more uh, subtle um, dimension of reality, what we will call now texture of reality. So sound, when I was a child, was about the sound of the wind and the sound specifically the songbird. And I had a connection. I have like a, a dialogue with the birds. And it was 
like been going to uh it was a spiritual practice what we call now a spiritual practice i would not tell anybody about it it was my private connection and i will be a very uh, disciplined every day i will go to the same little stairs and seat in this place outside the door and talk to my birds and the birds will be my family my secret my sanctuary my secret space and i will talk to them and i will imitate them and i will imagine stories with them play like playing house with the birds so that was my that was the beginning uh being in love of songbirds and the uh, especially, you know, Natalie, the, that they were not kind of periodic, uh, like symmetric, like periodicity, like time, like, uh, you know, the watch or the um, the pulse, hopefully, you know, and the metronome. No, the birds are, are open. So they talk to each other in a way that not necessarily has this particular uh, periodicity, repetition. And I, that was, I was amazed by that. I was always listening to the space in between, how long one bird will uh, answer me or answer another bird. So that I never forgot. I think that was the, that, that is and was the foundation of deep listening for me and the that ended being the you know and ended it me um implementing and selecting from all my musical experience the voice as my communicator of sound meaning and music so i think the voice of the words uh, were the inspiration for me to concentrate and be so specifically immersed in all the powers of the voice, the potential, the creativity, the musicality of the voice. So I think birds, nature, listening to the breath and my breath, um, I remember making... Uh, songs with my own breath when I was a child. So I think that was the beginning, nature, listening. And um, maybe I wasn't able to understand at that point the difference between hearing and listening. But then it's basically what I am teaching around the world and across the planet. I mean, I am teaching and, and, and helping people to discern between um, just hearing physically, accumulating waves, sound waves, uh, without any will, and listening, which is such a deep uh, awakening, awareness experience. I have to ask, in that part of your, your book, for Your Voice, that section called My Secret Religion, when I was reading it, I thought of, I've had people tell me when they were young, they would sing to themselves, perhaps, and most often when they were wandering, playing outside, 
exploring the woods without thought they would be singing songs um, and, and, and songs that were for coping or comforting. Just very simple melodies will come, would come to them quite naturally when they were young. Would, would you consider that medicine melodies? And, and can you yeah. explain that a bit? You know, songs that just appear, um, I guess, over time as people grow up, they might l- lose this connection with their voice and perhaps with nature. But is, is that what you would consider a med- medicine melody? Uh, I would say first, yes, uh, and then I will go deeper into that um, that we uh, receive information uh, from different textures and possibilities and connections of reality. Um, uh, yeah, as, as human, we listen and we hear, but um, sometimes we we make connections and that are not uh, conscious, you know, completely conscious, but there's something in nature or something or an aesthetic experience that that in a way transmitted something to us. And if we are open, that's the connection. <laughs> we have to be receptive to the specific, uh, um, I would say, uh, sonic or tone magic. Um, reality. So we listen, and then uh, we become um, a conduit, uh, and and then it it expresses itself. It's delivered as a melody, because melody is 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 conduit conduced and uh, is the carrier of emotions. So basically, it's. It's very emotional, but the way that 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 is that is expressed to us without uh, intuitive, without thinking about it, it becomes uh, like uh, medicine. It's like saying, "Okay, I'm listening to this. Oh my God, I'm listening to this melody that comes to me, and I need to um, to." Uh, to deliver this, I need to listen to, to to hear that to make it audible. Um, it's something that wants to be expressed, uh, and then and then what is expressed is a, a tonal configuration that is very simple, and it's, it it has the tendency to be repetitive, and it has the consciously or not in intention of liberate, being liberating. So medicine melodies, when I use it, you know, I actually think it was one of the first persons using that term mm-hmm. that I know. It came from me. Um, it's because it feels like it's a medicine, but more like an adaptogen, like an herb medicine, uh, a Gerberic medicine. It's something that I hear from nature. And I am, and I'm, I'm kind of unconsciously drinking, and then I need to share because it it makes me so happy, and I think it's going to be very, very beneficial to for people to listen to it. But the, but in terms of construction, 
supposed to be a very simple tonal configuration of one line going up and one line going down. And normally what happens is that uh, it starts with a tonal center and ends on the same tonal center and likes to be repeated. It's circular. So the the, the analytically means we are not, uh, making a musical analysis. Medicine melodies are circular melodic uh, melodic uh, phrases, and if we wanted to make it more like uh, transpersonal or uh, therapeutic, um, we can say that they have the quality to convey um, uh, a sense of freedom and release tension. So, and if we want to go into another reality, which is even more transpersonal, it feels like we have been um, in a state of divination. We we receive information from another dimension that are uh, that become wisdom. It's like wisdom music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like we are open to receive information uh, from another dimension. And the melody becomes an entity. So that's going into high consciousness. So what we are saying again is depending how you transmit, how you receive, and what is the intention that that we have when we've been sung, A-C-U-N-G, we've been, we've, we've been immersed in this m- melodiousness. I call it a spiritual melodiousness, um, or or a spiritual melodicism. I think it's in my book. Uh, spiritual melodicism. It's like something that, um, you know, the the frequency that you are connected in your uh, spiritual radio, spiritual radio. You are an antenna. You are receiving information, and you connect with the frequency of the divine or the frequency of nature. It's like, I always feel like we are radios, you know, like uh, transmitters and transducers. So if we get into that space of being open, the instrument that is uh, a birthright, the natural, the primordial instrument is the voice. The voice will will receive, you know, we will receive by listening to another dimension quantumly, and then boom, and then the voice wants to express and share. Now, what happened after is is very interesting. We have these medicine melodies, and we get used to receiving medicine melodies, and then... um, we now people do ceremonies and they sing medicine melodies and uh, there's more receptivity for this kind of musicality of spiritual musicality. And then what happened is like then you feel uh, in the time of when you when you return to silence, it feels like you've been guided. That you've been um, you've been in in a sacred space, um, 
And uh, that is the part that um, has to be with spiritual growth, spiritual practice. So what do we do uh, with what we receive and after we give it? <laughs> there's, there's all these different ways of discerning of first we are connected and open to receptivity of uh, the divine, uh, becoming more um, what I call uh, quantum listeners or virtual listeners, and we listen to melodic entities and we receive it and we, the voice has the freedom to express them and people are listening, hopefully, and what happened after. And that's the piece that I'm working now more what happened after the 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 the, the moment the that sense of the becoming aware of the power of sound? What what happens after we are um, blessed by uh, that that medicine melody? Mm. And um, that's a mystery. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I just I want to maybe perhaps make a connection here. Now you you studied with Ali Akbar Khan for more than thirty years, and I mm-hmm. was just I was just thinking about ragas are considered to be a gift from divine beings, right through the medium of melody and emotion. And what's really interesting about ragas is that they're so complex, and they're yet they're so freeing. Um. I wonder if you think ragas perhaps are me- medicine melodies as well. Well, uh, there, as you say, very clearly, Natalie, um, they're more, more a little bit more um, uh, esoteric, more complex, and they not just come from nature and cosmic connections with light. Uh, and nature, but also the ragas um, have uh, a, a, a narration. The ragas are more like opera. Mm-hmm. They have uh, a long life. Mm-hmm. And th- the beauty of the ragas and the mystery and the, what I call the addictive quality of ragas is that every time that you sing the same raga, it's going to be completely different. Mm. And this takes us to a place that, yes, there is what I think, and I, I think it's, I'm, let, I'm, saying, I'm saying this very clearly for those that, that experience and know about, um, you know, sing the ragas and are in that field. Um, there is always, uh, according to whoever is expressing and, and delivering and conveying the raga, uh, this this uh, divine phrases, um, melodic phrases. Um, you know, there is always a particular melody that uh, is what I call the DNA of each raga. Mm-hmm. Uh, each raga has what we call a passport or a, or a DNA that that makes that raga completely different from any other raga. According to Ali Akbar Khan. I mean, I don't know, he was extremely abundant, 
But he said that there are 75,000 ragas. And he repeated that many, many times mm. <laughs> in my 30 years of being at his feet. So, and then now I am with another other masters, you know, the incredible, amazing uh, caliber and value. But my point is, uh, there is something in, in in the raga that is very medicinal, and there is a particular melody that um, it you know makes that raga very special and different, but from others. But I wouldn't call it medicine melody, but I would call it um, you know the seed melody where all the other melodies and all the variations and all the improvisation and uh, all the possibilities of composition um, will um, be uh, explored. Um, so the raga has a seat, has seats and, and yes, the ragas are all about melody. Mm-hmm. The ragas are what I call um, the the kingdom the kingdom of melody is it's the um it makes melody uh, uh can I read something from my book mm-hmm. uh it's on the on the last in the chapter eight I think it's in the beginning we are talking about a scale of quality of melody and uh and and then you mentioned the ragas, which are my friends and who I live with. And then um, here this uh, Oliver Messian. My 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 thesis at Mills College was on Oliver Messian, the music of the mm-hmm. bird. And um, so I have I studied so much because I I had to write so much about it and listening. So Oliver Messian also lives here in my in my living room. Knowing that music is a language, shall seek at first to make melody speak. The melody is the point of departure. May it remain sovereign, the noblest element of music. So if you think about that, um, Oliver Messian living there, you know, I know he, he passed away in 1992. And he was in a concentration camp, and he was in Peru, and he was in Level Verde. And he has something about that melody that is like a seed of possibilities. You know, what we say in the seed is the plant for the whole plant, right? Mm-hmm. It's a code. So within the seed melody, there is a code that um, if we are listening deeply, we can uh, explore and create so much melodiousness, so much so much melody. And the ragas have rules, you know, how to go up and down, how to go around, how to make notes longer than the other ones. And the most important part of the ragas is how we breathe the note. Mm. This is what I'm just learning. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'm absolutely fascinated because now I am more concentrated in the voice and the ragas. Before it was composition, composition, Mm -hmm. you know? 
and songs and compositions that now I'm very interested in the space, the mm. breath, mm-hmm. and the, and how connect the tone, and how lift the tone, how detach from the tone and make the silent space. So now, more and more as you develop uh, as a listener uh, and you know, for me, uh, my spiritual practice is singing the ragas. So now I am uh, mostly singing rupas. So understanding uh, the intonation, pronunciation, uh, devotion in it, to each note, to each shwara, to each uh, the shwaras are the notes. But how that not fades into silence, the nav. So all this is what I'm interested in now. Uh, seriously, like a new, like a new musician, like a child again. With and bringing, we say in French, après coup. You know, bringing all my experience with the composition, the ragas. So I know m- many ragas, <laughs> but. How you deliver each note mm. and the space in between, and how you breathe the space that is fascinating for me. And then again, all depends, and this is the most important thing we are saying up to now all depends who is listening. It's all about the Rasika. It's all about who is listening. It's so important. When I'm practicing alone, it's like, wow, you know, you have to create an environment around you. You have, I like sometimes to have a microphone and delays because I want to create a space. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be immersed in this kind of, you know, sanctuary. Because I feel like uh, I'm singing to um, some kind of entities or divinities, and they are singing back to me. So who is listening is the next level of who is singing. Hmm. Is that too complicated? No, and it's almost a movement towards the subtle, a movement more and more towards the subtle. And, you know, in one of your articles, you mentioned that in the realm of consciousness, nada is the vibratory frequency rate of silence. Yes. Can you explain what you mean and how can that be experienced in meditation or contemplation? Well, this takes us to uh, Sanda and, um, you know, vibration. And um, if we are in, in a, and, and you know, it's interesting because it's yoga. Well, we, we are talking yoga. Um, they call it nad yoga. But um, it, there, the, the, before this, and again, discernment, um, the, quest, the, the inquiry is, I, I am sitting here and I want to experience a vibratory quality of silence. And that we we also call it not, and but that requires 
a mind, a particular mindset, a particular consciousness uh, expansion, and also like an pre-assessment requires believing that I am going to be connected with vibration and not just, you know, down or whatever. That I can enter <clears throat> in a more subtle space. So that's part of my mindset. My mindset is is is, is created um, as a consequence or as a result of how many times I do something, how much I believe in something, and how much I can cultivate my innate capacity for bhakti or devotion. So I'm sitting and I'm, 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 I'm singing a note and suddenly I realize that after I sing the note, especially if I had a drone or a long tone in the back of the, you know, backing uh, the note or accompanying the note, after I remain in silence, I am part of a vibratory experience that is completely different than when I was singing. So that, that the, my whole body will start vibrating. My heart rate will change. My, my whole biological system will be entrained differently. And, uh, and I will enter in a dimension that is much more subtle than my physical body. Um, it seems like it's silent, but we don't know. We, we probably know. What we know is that silence doesn't exist as right. silence. There's right. always vibration. But I get so, Paulino Oliveros, my divine first teacher and friend, she would say it's like being quiet to a point of silence. So it's like saying, uh, my mind, I am singing. I am expressing sound, or I am playing an instrument, and suddenly it's been a, a, a very full and embodied and delightful experience, and ends with silence. That silence, we call it fertile silence, fertile, abundant, um, mysterious, and at the same time, it's a silence where we connect directly with the vibration of life. I would say prana, life force. We become nature. And what we say always in Drupad and other various forms of uh, music practices, uh, music is in this world to quiet the mind, to make it sensitive to divine intervention, or at the same time, we can say in a more mainstream way, music is a way for us to know more about ourselves. Mm. And the silence after our delivery of sound is a way to know more about our vibratory essence. Mm -hmm the nature of who we are. So 
So music helps us to know who we are. Connect us with, it's a mirror of ourselves. Without having to tell us anything. It's just the experience of sound, especially through, through the voice, of course. Because it's the voice is the body. So, um, it's, it's, the music to the voice is a way to know more about ourselves. And in a subtle way, uh, to meet our vibrational field. We um, embrace it with a sense of uh, nature more than judgment. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like, there is an example that you used that I thought was helpful that another way to connect is to play a singing bowl and follow the ringing frequency until it completely fades and that that transports your mind towards deeper states of consciousness because it has a leading quality right it leads you into the silence and just gets you farther and farther into the silence as you hear something like a singing bowl fade away yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now there is something behind this, which is, it's again, I'm always using the quality of Saraswati, the goddess of sound, which is discernment. The main quality of Saraswati is to discern from truth and false and all the different layers of possibilities of things. And um, the balls are. Crystal or metal, but they're incredibly, they transmit so much sound and so many other sounds. And they're so overpowered. Then the most important aspect of the practitioner is to learn how to play less, mm-hmm. meaning the duration. This is what we need to learn. And I'm doing a, I'm doing a training uh, at the end of June in San Diego about how to train the facilitators not to get um, driven by the sound and start playing for people for an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, just playing for like a medicine melody, few minutes, like in ceremony, mm-hmm. and then you stop. Let the silence connect with Nod, with, with, with divinity, with possibility, with creation. Because if you if someone is playing to me for an hour, well, I might fall asleep if I am very tired, or I might get tired, or I might get a pain in my neck, or I might want to leave, or I might just say, okay, I came here, I, I shouldn't, I have to be obedient. But I found myself saying, having all these experiences, except when the practitioners play for a few minutes and stop. And play for a few minutes and stop. It's like saying, even if I'm not playing with melody, I'm playing with overtones. So it's the, we need to realize how much we can, the, the, the cellular body can uh, absorb and be able to allow for the space in between. 
And this is the next level that comes with listening, right? <laughs> with listening. So that's the point. It's all beautiful. The balls are getting more and more sophisticated. Now they're making them with gold. That's what they say. And and, and, and stones, of, uh, precious stones and things like that. But, or whatever. However, practitioners, if they listen deeply, they will play with more space. Because we want we want to enter in the experience of yoga, liberation, of conditioning, liberation of, and we want to experience the nod, the vibratory quality of silence, which help us to integrate the experience. Taking shavasana after the yoga class, um, shavasana is shavasana is when we lay down. And, and and I, for me, is the most therapeutic aspect of my class. I, I go to yoga, you know, all my life. I cannot live without yoga. And then uh, the Shiva, we always wait for Shavasana because it's a state of silence and integration. And it's the space that allows, which is what, you, what Buddha said. What is the space? That which allows. What is sound? That which helps us to clear, to purify, to awaken. And um, and what is listening? Listening is to become aware. Listening is is a lifetime practice that depends on accumulating it, experience with sound. And 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 then sound is very intelligent and 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 culture and we need the space to integrate all that. Mm-hmm. That's why we want more silence, meditation. Yeah, I think what you're saying, perhaps to practitioners, is about pace, pause. And texture yes. and the breath to yes. get them deeper and di- deeper into the space mm-hmm. uh, for listening mm-hmm. and sound. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, uh, another way to think about it is to take the sound and the voice as as a communicator of sound as an, an as a journey. And if and um and and the melody, especially if it's raga. Which has a particular connection with cosmic and you know cosmic consciousness. Um, uh, the ragas and the melodies will be like the poetry of sound. Uh, the highest level of creativity is poetry. The, you know the Vedas clearly talk about that. I mean the highest level of metaphor and the the gateway to to art as as an experience of truth and nature is poetry. So where I'm, where I'm, where I'm, the way to answer your question is we if we if we help ourselves and others to understand the difference between hearing and listening, uh, vibration and sound, melody and rhythm, 
um, textures of uh, tonal textures, um, melody and harmony, and all these different things, we can help people to be more aware of what they want to listen. And listening uh, is awareness of what we hear and create our reality, create our culture, create our relationships, create our environment. So um, deep listening and listening carefully will help us to, um, will protect us from being in places and spaces that are not um, beneficial for us. The space in between that we are talking, the pause or uh, the silence in between, it's where is the sign, the manifestation that we are listening. Um, this, this particular spaces that I'm doing when I'm talking to you helps me to understand um, how we can listen together. Uh, I'm learning all this from being um, a practitioner of Raga and Drupad. So I'm learning how to listen deeply by pra practicing music as yoga, not just as creating music, considering that I'm a, mostly a composer. But when I'm a composer, I insert first need silence, and I take breaks of silence in between everything I write. And in those breaks, in those spaces, is when I receive the information. Mm. Mm -hmm. So the same like when someone is playing a ball, if they can handle stay a few minutes, maybe sometimes it's just 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes in meditation. Wow. You know, even if there is an anxiety going on because you want just to play, play, people just want to play, right? Relax. But then, then we are learning how to regulate, self-regulate our, our anxiety. So that's why singing um, this particular music that I'm singing now is helping me to regulate my breath. To, re to accumulate more life force, life force or prana, it's helping me to um, um, shape my sounds differently. You know my pronunciation, and um, and I'm not talking about oh tomorrow I'm going to perform this. Uh, it's I'm 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 learning music to become a better person. <laughs> mm. uh, and actually, it's not even learning. I'm just practicing, mm -hmm. which is different. So silence is important and is the next level of who is listening. Uh, you know, and there is a difference between being quiet and being aware of silence uh, or being distracted. Right? It's all about the scale of quality that we are present, mindful, 
the he it's all about the scale of quality of how we are um how we participate with what we are doing yeah especially with sound the sound is so big sound is huge and it's very it could be very emotional as well so how we how we self control the emotionality within within sound and that's where the the concept of rasa comes to be in Indian classical music and art and aesthetics. Mm-hmm. You know, how we understand the emotions in the experience of music as basically um, aesthetic emotions, universal emotions. It's not about me. But I can release something and feel completely relaxed after. And th- that relaxation, what I love about the relaxation of singing beautiful music, that that sense of being being sung by or wow, you know, oh, God, this is so so um, enriching, so nurturing that uh, I feel humble. No, I want to, I want to share this with everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. That kind of help, that's help, that's healing. I want to share this. This is good. It's not just for me. So um, the silence will take us to that experience of expansion of consciousness, growing up as as listeners and practitioners, and realizing the poetry of, uh, within the practice that we do, the poetic aspect, you know, the um, the, the imagination. Uh, uh, again, we always get to the subtleties of it, you know. And how could somebody that has no experience or knowledge of ragas or mantras how can they free their voice without having that knowledge? Are there things that they can do to just trust and be present and let it go, even without knowledge of ragas and mantras? Well, uh, what comes to me without thinking, intuitively, um, it comes to me with the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Um you know, Buddha means being awakened and being aware uh, in the sense that um, uh, doing it, um, knowing knowing with which, knowing what you want to do. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. And do it, um, knowing, knowing that you, and you're knowing, my teachers always say, my uh, my teacher Nam Kainor will, will say, knowing, uh, being aware of your capacity how much you can handle it. So it's a sense of, well, um, my capacity was to get up to mantra, not to raga, you know. But then, um, or or kirtan, not to raga, you know. But you know what? There is a wholeness behind all this. Um, if you if you do it in a in a familiar way, I, I in my book I always say my best friend is dharana, meaning single-pointed attention and familiarity. So I am doing this 
so often that becomes my home, the home of my of my of my of myself, my my spiritual development, <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, my development as a better human. So you do it often, and then you need a sangha. You need a group of people that support that, that that entice, that ignite that. At least, you know, two three times a month, once a month, whatever you can handle. And whatever you can have, but you need a group of people that nurtures the practice. Sometimes they're students, sometimes they're teachers. And Guru Dharma, uh, and the Dharma is the teachings. The teachings, you want to learn something, repeat, repeat, and then go to the next level. So you have the teachings. You have, uh, you know, the guru is your capacity to embody the teachings and and be honest about um, repetition, you know, japa, doing it more often, on, you know, bringing the, the teachers inside you um, and, awake, and use the teachings to awakening yourself, to become more uh, present. And then you need a sangha, and and that's it, a group, a group that supports you. That's why we do retreats, you know. I realize that um, uh, singing lessons are, they don't, they're out of, how can I say, um, they could be helpful, but what we really need is immersion. So music needs immersion, means a retreat, three days, four days, five days, two weeks where you are with a group of people that then become your your music family mm. and your music mind, help you to the, 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 how do you say, empower the muscles of your musical mind. So that's my answer to your question. Um, we need a sangha. We need a group of people that will help us to maintain, sustain the practice. And then hopefully we have a guru or a teacher that we trust, we believe, and we honor. And that is bhakti. And that's the part that is the most complicated, the most complex, because because require, bhakti is energy. It's um, kind of the opposite of narcissism. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I never said that before. <laughs> Bhakti is <laughs> Bhakti is a natural sense of awareness. It's, it's loving, unconditional, someone that is giving you something that m- makes you feel so good and trusting that person forever. Um, and don't worry if that person does something that maybe you don't like. You know, because that person gave you uh, uh, the 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 key to develop and cultivate your unconditional love. Um, so I and bhakti is a very 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 important aspect. I call it the DNA of the of of a practitioner. Sometimes I'm so sorry. Like people are incredible and I love them so much. Mm-hmm. And I know I see their capacity. My, you know, I have millions of students, not millions, but thousands yeah. around the world. And I see the capacity and I see the possibilities, but the bhakti is not awakened. Mm. 
I cannot teach you bhakti. I can teach you anything else. But it has to be your, your trust, your energy. It's like the shaman, you know, the shamans are the, the, the real good shamans. I grew up with them. They, they have that. They, they, their sense of bhakti is, is their belief system. The guru, the good, the, 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 the great masters, you know. So bhakti helps us to, re, to survive. It's a survival. Especially when you are, um, you know, when you are uh, an adult, you know, you need something to that is not just a person to um, maintain your unconditional love in what you're doing. As you've been all over the world, it seems like you've lived many lifetimes in this lifetime. <laughs> As you've devoted um, preserving sacred musical traditions. Is that kind of what you've found to be universally true, this bhakti uh, as the healing power of sound or? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, but not, not, uh, it's, I'm, 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 I, I just came from the ashram with my dear, dear friend and Swami Sita Ramananda and I always talk about bhakti and I, was, uh, you know, was uh, attending um, another uh, event of Bhakti last weekend, and it's, I'm continuously re re reinventing, reframing, revisiting this because sometimes it's painful, you know, because my teacher, my teacher passed away. So where do I put that unconditional love? Well, my teacher passed away in 2009. I I felt like a, like a lost soul for a while. We all felt that way when Aliya Khan Kansa Baba, you know, disappeared from this planet. Mm -hmm. And then slowly, you know, we realized that he gave us so much, you know, that it's inside. And I, I'm teaching and suddenly I get a download from my teacher, mm -hmm. you know. And it was so powerful that I could see him around. And and then uh, and then slowly I started realizing well it's time for me to do another reincarnation and concentrate more in the voice of the raga and then I decided to commit myself forever to Drupad. But you know bhakti is what makes you grow, uh, but um, it's not about you. It's not about me or you. It's about Bhakti is with the child. We, we, we have when we are child. We believe that that doll talks to me. Bhakti is the baby, you know, born baby, just born that goes directly to the breast of the mother. That kind of attraction. And it's almost like abstract love. Because sometimes we love something that we cannot have. That's devotion. But we still believe that is there. <laughs> and uh, in Portuguese, we have a beautiful word for that, saudade. Saudade. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's very powerful. But more and more, I, I wouldn't say bad, but uh, however, um, um, the culture that we are living now, the, the whatever is happening around the planet and the world and this particular time in civilization um, is um, 
how can I say, we have to be a little bit more careful about uh, not getting codependent on bhakti because of a particular tradition. Bhakti is only Rama or Krishna. You know what I mean? It's like, we have to be able to realize that bhakti is the DNA of unconditional love for anything. Just, um, uh, I, I, I teach my students whatever they want, whatever they are listening. Even music that I even don't know. If someone loves, you know, a kind of music that I even don't know, I learn from them. Because the point is, is where you direct your listening and your attention. Because listening is attention. And if you love that, this is where I'm going to concentrate how to accumulate more prana, more love, more more concentration in what you love. I cannot teach raga to someone that doesn't love it. Mm-hmm. My mother never liked raga. How can I sing raga in front of my mom? She, she, she would put her to sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, listening again, we come back to that. But um, what I'm learning is that uh, it's almost like a sense, sens- sensuality. I sense what is the quality of and the capacity and the experience of bhakti of this particular student or person. And, and if it's abundant, uh, I help for that to be more cultivated and have the right direction. But sometimes, you know, they just put it on, on me or them or they want me to teach that. I can't. I can't. No, no one can teach you that. I mean, we give them. So, bhakti is the, the seed that happens when Shiva and Shakti um unite, uh, embrace each other. You know, Shiva as the ground, Shakti as the movement of creativity. And uh, Bhakti creates. Bhakti loves. Bhakti um, breathes. Bhakti makes us aware of not being alone. So that's where Bhakti is. And that's where my intention is. But I, I don't put in any particular music or or tradition because I don't know how to do that. I'm a, you know, I, uh, my daughter of a family that live all over the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my world is very, uh, you know, I, I, I live in Africa, uh, Europe, uh, South America, India, um, United States. Now I, Japan. I mean, wow. Mm. And I love to hear, to see how people love differently. But uh, but bhakti is attraction, and we need that to wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Now we do retreats um, to help people with that, to help ourselves with that. We we have to do long retreats. So I have a long retreat that I do for the past 25 years in uh, California, in where I live, which is the Santa Cruz retreat, which is fantastic because that's where we we, we work with bhakti and accumulation of prana and all kinds of possibilities of we to develop to support the capacity of making sounds 
are divine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, being being uh, so. If we, and then we we I take people to India every year for two three weeks to study with amazing masters and myself. And I take people every year to Japan and and uh, Brazil, where I kind of grew up part time. So basically, um, we travel the voice and we travel the sound, and that helps us to um, expand our consciousness and listening capacities. Mm-hmm. So almost creating a space to be a conduit for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I record. You know, I am a composer, so I love to record what I listen. Mm-hmm. But at least every other year, I do a recording with amazing friends that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, 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 I practice Drupad. Uh, this is my normal life. I practice Drupad, chanting and singing and sounding, and then um, I, I am, I am planning some recordings. And then I travel around the world uh, offering uh, concerts and teachings on the on how to free the voice and the secret sound, which would be um, and and unlocking the code of bhakti. Mm. And it's working. Uh, and um, I really like to. Go to different now. In next week, I'm going to New York, which I have a class. I create also curriculum for um, academic centers, universities, and um, you know, uh, well wellness, yeah, uh, holistic centers like Open Center in New York, and I I I coordinate and help uh, consult with the curriculum. I invite teachers that are amazing to teach sound healing. And then here in California, I, I am doing it now for specifically facilitators. I'm doing training for facilitators in San Diego at Soul of Yoga. And then I, then my main concentration point is Santa Cruz because that's when I invite everybody that I love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have like a whole ensemble of musicians and students and newcomers and we all become a community and we give a community to people we give a sangha to people which is so important um and then india you know india is my mother and (laughs) and um india is where i go and and expand my capacities my possibilities my listening now i have a uh uh, a, a guru, a, a musical, another musical teacher that I want to follow for as much as I can. It's uh, kind of reawakening you know, my voice. Mm-hmm. So I'm a student. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I, I'd like to ask you some questions too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, you... Uh, your experience was and is as a violinist mm-hmm. and meaning a string instrument. Yes. And then um, how music, your musical experience as a musician um, 
um, develop or convey now your interest in sound mm. and therapeutic possibilities of sound or healing sound. Well, initially I was just tuned into playing it right, just being, you know, it did take a lot of discipline and practice, practice, practice to get the technical ability um, to be a skilled violinist. So there is that um, complexity to it. But you get to that point, just like Ragas, where it's so freeing um, that you just let go. And finally learning to let go of uh, notes on music on, on a sheet of music and just actually using uh, playing as a meditation and just mm -hmm. what, what comes out, you know, just actually sit and meditate with the violin, what flows out of me and just be very present with it. Once I started doing that, I could tune my intention. I could tune what I was feeling and kind of release it um, to the world or to other people or help myself through playing the violin. Um, so now what I'm doing is very intentional. There's, there's purpose. Um, I, I tend to say no to a lot of things that I used to do, whether it's bands or um, record. You know, I love to play all styles of music, but um, it's, it's more of um, a devotional treatment. Beautiful back. Yeah. Yeah. Before mm -hmm. your back got reactivated. Yes. And I had it when right I was time. very, very young. I remember when I was a young child, I started violin when I was four. It was present then. I understood it, but kind of lost it. Um, I guess maybe my own schooling was very competitive and conservatory training and education doesn't lend itself to that. Um, yeah. so it kind of got dampened, um, until I listened to myself again. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I think for me, I was, I always had back tea. I always was sort of like a fanatic of music and musicians and follow them all over the world mm -hmm. and like, like a groupie sometimes. But, um, when I was in my teens, but, but I always had that, but, uh, what happened is that when I discovered Indian classical music, I, you know, I was an opera singer and Renaissance singer, and I was, you know, very, very, you know, like, serious performer, but uh, Bhakti was not there. In, yeah. Because, um, as you say, is the com you, you, you compare yourself, and the paper is there in front of you, and there's so much tension, and... Um, and they're, they kind of not, there's not, um, the discernment about love, what you're doing is not very clear. It's more, more hard work. Mm. But Bhakti also requires effort. See, the point is mm -hmm. Bhakti needs to be disciplined towards, and that's when listening comes to be, you know, in terms of, okay, my Bhakti is my, my, my engine, my, my energy, my, um, you know, it's like an engine. Mm -hmm. And I need to drive it to the right place. I need to know where to put it. I, the, the direction of my listening is very important. Yes. And and sometimes I people don't know where to put it. and uh, Or I, 
I have a divine student I adore, and she's mm-hmm. helped me a lot with other things. And then I say her, to her, you know, you have too much vati, but we need to. <laughs> but you're singing, but we need to direct it now to listening to your tuning, you know. You know, you need to now, it's intonation. So vati needs to be disciplined in some form. Uh, and then comes the um, the the point of uh, of sanga of who is supporting your bhakti and how you how you um, unfold it, how you support it, how you maintain it, and not because it can dry. And many people uh, that I see, especially in my classes at the university, they're incredible musicians. Even my divine late, late husband, he was incredible. Sometimes he was so tired of playing <clears throat> that I, I told him, <clears throat> you have bhakti deficiency, <clears throat> you know. It's all, it's all that. They lost the, the, the interest because they have to play so much. And again, the spaces in between, the silence, the, the meditation, the, 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 the sound that is long. And like a lot of the music of Messian has that quality, like prayer, you know. So it's good to have uh, a container for bhakti. That's the point. When bhakti loses the container, um, it's, it's difficult. And I tell people with that a lot. I'm pretty good at figuring out. They call me treasure finder. And the treasure is the bhakti, you know. And then we need to move it and figure figuring out how to uh, indulge that 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 imagination, that that that, that fantasy, that that poetic love. Um, you know, I always say indulging the the imagination of the poet is the way that we move, we uh, evolve bhakti. But it's a very innocent. Thing. It's the way, you know, bhakti is what children have. That's why we love them. So I think that the center of this um, uh, wonderful uh, dialogue we are having is, is we got to the right place, which is how we, how we recognize, awaken, because it's innate, uh, develop and find the right channel for this unconditional love, this innocent love to what we want to be and do in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. And if his music is great, because, you know, music is so big and so abundant, and if it's sound, wow, it's even bigger because mm-hmm. it's, uni- it's the universe, it's vibration permeates all things. So, but... um but we, it's a protection. Mm-hmm. Bhakti is a protection. And I think that one other emphasis is, and, and to kind of find those deeper and deeper layers, is listening. Uh, one, one thing that, exactly. that helped me immensely to get more in touch is just the simple practice of, of focusing on sounds that are near to me, far away the silence between mm-hmm. each layer i just Beautiful. i got more sensitive to everything yeah. yeah to everything yeah we call that sonic meditations in our practices mm. we have um 
172 practices we do of of, of sonic meditations and sound meditations, yogic meditations, and nod meditations that um, work with uh, that exactly what you're doing, proximity and um, different sounds that we listen. And then we we write down, we do a sound journal. Mm -hmm. And I did that with Colleen Olivero for many years, going around the country and listening overnight in a tent in amazing um, park, you know, like amazing places. And the next day, uh, we will write down everything we heard, or we will go to places that have a special kind of reverberance and chant and sing and see how the voice becomes expansion and space. Um, so um, sound is in the beginning of all manifestations, and space is what makes sound manifest. So the space is where we can choose. Uh, where, where is the space that we want to manifest this particular sound? And when we want to just listen to what we just did. And um, and that is like listening to people better. And the voice is, just, uh, is a great um, vehicle because the voice, we all have a voice. And sometimes it's tired. Like now my voice is tired. Because I did two sessions before I talked to you, two Skype sessions, one in Saudi Arabia, the other in China. You know, you have to talk Skype. And then, but like my voice is tomorrow, at night, it's be better. And then tomorrow, if I practice, it's going to be great. You know, it's just, it's just to become familiar with your instrument. And, and make it free, make it free of your judgment. It's just, Hold it like a baby, you know. And then, yeah, that's where the voice is. The voice is a beautiful, divine instrument. We want to take care of it and know it and become very familiar and, and, and hold it like a baby. Give it to the voice what the voice needs. And the voice talks to us, you know. So here you have someone that has, Many, many, many academic degrees and credentials talking magic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the voice talks to us. Yeah. But it's like that, you know, you get poetic. Mm-hmm. And the, po- the poetry is subtlety, it's enhancing the sensibility of the subtle in, in everything we do mm. or think. So, thank you very much. Beautiful. Thank you so much. It's been an extraordinary, wonderful pleasure to talk to you. You and too. Thank you so much. The Santa Cruz Retreat, um, if, you know, if you have the time, it, it's the best thing I ever created. And it's, it's extraordinary. And um, because it's, it's like being in, in heaven, the place is a, a monastery. No, it's not a monastery. It's a, a school of magical arts. Uh, mm. Tibetan artists and meditators that are dressed like us and they're not monastic and they make sculptures mm. and uh, food and and they are not monks but they're living there there's only 10 people living there for 35 years and it's the space of Lama Tarchin which is one of the greatest poets and 
artist. Mm. He passed mm-hmm. away. So I've been doing there. No one bothers you, and people make uh, lifelong connections. Mm. So um, if you have time, you come. But if you just know that I would love to meet you and, and I would love to meet you. Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your Thank time. You. Thank you. All right. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Bye-bye. Have a wonderful day. You Bye-bye. too, and safe travels. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Sounds Heal Podcast. You could keep up to date by going to soundshealstudio.com, on Facebook, Sounds Heal Studio. You can listen to new music and podcasts monthly on YouTube, Sounds Heal Studio, Natalie Brown. Be well and stay tuned.